Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Okay, you could grab your Bibles. If you don't have any, the ushers will bring them by. We're going to be in Luke 15 again. Luke chapter 15. All right, so I have a question for you. Do you have to change before you come to God, or does it matter at all? And you may think you know the answer, but yet we get confused with this concept. And so I want to make sure that we're not confused, and so that's what we're going to look at today. And I had an incident um, with Steph and I. This last weekend was our anniversary, and so while we were down in La Jolla, something answered this for me, or at least it kind of haunted me. So I want to make sure that I have us look at that together. So um, we have these good friends that we were on Young Life staff with together, and we went to breakfast with them, and they just became grandparents over the past few years. And in that process of becoming grandparents, they've had to figure out, well, we knew what we wanted to be like as parents, but how are we going to be as grandparents? So Jody told us about this bench that the La Jolla Elementary had put in, and the bench, um, it's the stone rounded, well, not completely rounded, but semicircle, and engraved, carved into it says, come, sit, and rest, and know that you are loved. And then it has a little dash to let you know who wrote it, and it said, from grandma and grandpa. And it's like out there in public, And she said, that's the kind of grandparents I want us to be. I want our grandkids to come. I want them to be embraced. I want them to to know that this is their home and that they're safe here. And it sounded so perfect and so beautiful. And it stuck with me for a few days. And then I thought about something. I thought, well, that's all good and and stuff, but... um, When my kids go over to grandma's house, they're always eating candy because they're coming, sitting, resting, and know their loves. And so grandma and grandpa want to make sure there's plenty of chocolate out for them. They're eating ice cream for breakfast. They go shopping all the time, and anything they want, they get. And so they come back with all these things, and they're younger. All the things they came back with made a lot of noise. And as a parent, you're on the other side. Well, that's great and all. We want them, but at the same time, we want to make sure that they're able to grow up and be adults. We don't want them to be entitled. We want them to know that they have to be responsible and that there's, there's lines and, and their behavior matters. And So there's that tension, and we could pretend it's not there, but it's there. And I'll hear parents all the time going, oh, they're grandma and grandpa's. I can't believe my mom's doing this. I can't believe my dad's doing this. And then, of course, grandma and grandpa are like, I love being a grandparent because I can just wrap my arms around them and then I just give them back to their parents and they have to help them be adults. 
And so in this passage we're going to look at this morning, that's the tension that's going on when Jesus is with these Pharisees and these scribes who are acting like the parents, and then Jesus, who they think is like, okay, you're acting a little bit too much like grandpa right now. Because all of these sinners, all of these tax collectors, all of these people that have made these horrible decisions who aren't acting like adults, but are wasting the life that God has given them, and you're acting like it's no big deal. And we're, we're the leaders, we're the religious leaders. It's our responsibility to make sure that we shepherd them, that we grow them up. Could you really be from God? Are you a universalist? Are you just letting whatever works, hey, everything's good. That's what the Pharisees are concerned about, just like a parent. What? not everything's good. I don't, afigato, have you ever heard of that? No, neither did I. But I got that text, because my kids were telling me the other day, this wasn't grandparents, but I could see the grandparents doing this. Afigato is breakfast. It's a bowl of ice cream with espresso on the top of it. That's what the Pharisees are thinking right now. Like, seriously? You're going to let these children, these people, live in this type of situation? And so we need to know the context here. I don't want us to, you can never look at these parables and take them out of context. So Jesus is with these tax collectors and sinners, and they're all gathering around to hear Jesus. They're eating together. They're talking. He's spending time with them. And so the Pharisees are very concerned, are you condoning this behavior because you're with them? Shouldn't they change before they come? Shouldn't they make those changes before? So they were muttering. I like that word. They were muttering. We all know what that means. We never use that word, but we know what it means. And they, this is what they muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. So if you could turn your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 15. Because as I wrestled with this and I thought about Jody's statement, I thought about us like grandparents and when we're like parents. And we individually wrestle with, do we need to change before God will accept and embrace us? You know, we have this statement for branches. We embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hopes of them reaching holy ground. And with those people that we love, that we really care about, one of the things that we're very concerned about is, wait, in that statement you say, in the hopes that they reach holy ground, shouldn't we just drag them and take them there? I always have to go very slow when I read that statement because my nature is to say we embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hopes of leading them to holy ground. I always want to change it to leading them because that's my nature, to push, to persuade, to make people do something. Just ask my kids. That's my nature, but that's not the way it works. And so that statement is not something we just came up with. We stole it, but it was also stolen from the nature of God. And so I want us to look at what does that mean for them to be in holy ground? Because a lot of us have a hard time with that statement of embracing. We're like the Pharisees. It, the Pharisees aren't horrible people. They have, there is 
goodness there. They care. But we have to understand what God's heart is and how he loves. So let's get a little deeper into it right now. Um, We're going to be in Luke 15. We already did uh, verse 1. But we're now going to start looking at the actual passage, which starts in verse 11. Um, So it's up here, but I love it if you have it in your Bible. So I use the New Living Translation just to kind of shake it up a little bit. It doesn't really change it that much. Um, But when you're looking at this, I want you to see yourself as the younger son and the older son. Because a lot of times we think, can I really change, though? Because there's the other side of it. Can I really, can I change? Can others change? Does that really ever happen? And as we look at this, I want us to, as we're having patience with the Pharisees, let's have some patience with this younger son, okay? So if you don't know the story, um, Kim's going to scroll through it while I tell the story or do my best to tell the story. So Jesus wants to illustrate to these Pharisees, because remember the context, so he shares this story to explain why he's with these people, why he embraces them, regardless of their background or where they're at right now. And so Jesus talks about these two sons, and the younger son told his father, hey, I want my stuff now. I'm ready to move out. And so we can breeze over that and just look at his heart and go, really? What a jerk. You're basically saying, Dad, it'd be better if you were just dead. That would be easier for me. So I don't want to wait for you to die. I want my stuff now. And we hear that, and we can get angry, but think about that. Think about growing up in the house because every teenager is this way. We want them to go off on their own. And so he's been at home the whole time following dad's guidelines, the way things are done um, at home on this property. And something inside of him, maybe it's, maybe it's I don't have the freedom to live life the way I want to. I've always done things the way you've said. I I'm just kind of tired of these rules. I feel like I need to stretch out. That is normal. If, if you've ever had kids and they've reached the teenage stage, there's that period of time where basically you're dealing with a younger son all the time, even if she's a daughter, because she gets to this point where she's like, I I'm kind of need to fly on my own, and you want them to. It's hardwired into them because they're not meant to stay at home forever. And even though you love them, You probably want them to be adults. Maybe you want them to live near you. Maybe you want them to want to be around you. But you want them to be able to fly on their own and be adults. And so it kind of makes sense. This is a natural thing that's happening to this younger brother. And so the younger brother wants to take off. Maybe he also wants to take off because he has to live with his brother. I mean, we talked about him a couple weeks ago. The judgmental, condescending, always got to do the right thing brother. That gets a little bit annoying. And even if he is kind to the younger brother, he's still the older brother. He's in his shadow. Like, I want to go, and I can't see any way to go. I can't leave on my own. But wait a minute, I have money in the bank account, but I can't open that bank account until my dad dies. So I'm just going to tell him I want it now. And for some reason, he knows his dad wants to know he's going to do it. And so his dad does it. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If you've been a human being before, if you've gone through that period where you just want to go out and do your own thing. Some of you had to be released already because your parents just weren't there. 
You're like, what? I never had to leave. They just left me. I was on my own. But there's this point where you have to actually begin to live and make your decisions. And so he doesn't want his father to be the boss anymore. And he wants to go. So he goes. And he goes out into this foreign land. He gets as far away as he can. He takes the money. And we don't know if he starts living wildly right to begin with. Maybe he just went out, got a nice little apartment and rented it. And he's out there just, you know, maybe he's going to look at the museums at first. And then maybe he's going and going to the beach. And he's renting scooters. And he's just, he's just trying to experience life. But he's got a lot of money. And people start to notice. And he's young. And so these urges to, like, I heard people drink a lot. We don't do that at dad's house, but I'm just, let's go for this. And he's like, ooh, this is kind of nice. If it's a little bit's good, maybe a little bit more is even better. And soon he's just hammered. And when he's hammered, he goes to those places where everyone else is hammered. So everyone else is there. Whoa, hey, I'll buy some because he needs friends. He's alone. And this money now allows him to buy friends to some degree. And so he's got all his friends around. And then he's like, whoa. We don't have girls like that on the property. What's going down? And so they're flirting with him. He's flirting with him. Next thing he knows, he's like, what? We can do this stuff? He can do whatever he wants because he's on his own. Dad, I got this. I need to be my own man, and I'm going to make my own decisions. And so now he's drinking and he's sleeping around, and he's living this life, and we don't know what changes. We don't necessarily know if he was just bad with his money. We don't know if it got stolen. It's really not the point. It could have been the economy. The point is, is that it eventually runs out. Those who are rich know that it goes down. Those who are poor know it can go up. Our possessions, that, our circumstances, our health. I mean, that's why when you get married, we say, in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. We bring that up because for richer, for poor, it's going to change. And so it changes, and he's got nothing. And so now he's just trying to survive. And so he goes and he works somewhere. And as he's working somewhere, he just has a horrible boss. He's feeding the pigs. He, he doesn't have enough. He's not making enough. The guy's not paying enough, so he's not eating enough. And he wants to eat the corn cobs that are left from the pigs. But he can't even eat those because that's the rule. His boss says, no, you can't have those. Those are just for the pigs. And he's looking at his situation and he's not necessarily trying to upgrade. He's thinking survival. And so he comes up with a plan to go home. But he knows that he can never be a son again. He knows that's the case. That's just the way it works in that society. He's amazed that he got away without being punched in the face. Because that was part of the, that's just the way it was done. Everyone in that community was like, seriously, Dad? You know, you let him? You know what should have been done when he asked for that money. He deserved the forearm shiver. That's what we do. You need to help him grow up. Seriously? You're going to give him ice cream for breakfast? Like he needs to know what it is to be a man, and you just let him go and give him property? What are you thinking? So he knows that his dad's already stepped out for him once. He's not going to do it again. But maybe my dad is a good businessman. He treats his employees well. Maybe because I'm his son, or was his son, maybe he'll hire me because that working situation will be better than this working situation. But he's got the fear of even being able to communicate that to him because he knows when he comes back how he would react with anger and fury. So as he's 
coming up with his plan to go home, he has to have a speech. So he works on his speech saying, look, I have blown it. I know that. I have not just blown it with you, but I've blown it with God. But if you just take me on as a hired servant, he has to go through the speech because imagine all the emotions. You know when you get all emotional and you can't communicate? That's why everybody hates public speaking because the emotions start flying. Well, he's got a public speech coming up. So as he's coming home, he's coming down that road, it says that his dad saw him from a long ways off. Who's on the porch that often? What's the, what are the chances that at the very moment that his son is coming back, he's on the porch looking? How does that come about? Because he's always been looking. In fact, it says that he saw him from a long ways off. How would he recognize him? He's lost so much weight. He's in such a mess that he can't even eat corn cobs. So he's got to have lost all this weight. His hair's disheveled. He's a mess. How do you recognize that? He left all proud. Coming back, shoulders are going to be rolled forward. He's just going to be kind of hunching. You just don't have the same demeanor. He's not even the same man, but the father recognizes him. And so as the son's coming, it says that the dad ran. Now, my kids have seen me run quite often. But in that society, men, oh, you don't run. That is below you. They have roads. So to run, you'd have to pick it up, right? And then you'd have to run like this. Like, you just don't do that. You're a man. We're men. We don't do that. And so to picture this father lowering himself for his son because he wanted to be near him. And the son, think about his perspective. He's not going, oh, look, dad, he's running to me. He's like, oh, no, this is bad. I've never seen my dad run. People say, oh, I've never seen my dad cry. I've never seen my dad laugh. I've never seen my dad. He's never seen his dad run. And so here he is picking up his skirt and running. And so you could just see him bracing himself, like, oh, here it goes. So as he's coming, he's got to project the speech out to him. Father. I've sinned against, because he's got to slow him down somehow. Maybe he'll slow down because he wants to hear. But he keeps coming. Well, actually, he's not going socket to pocket here because he's got to hold his skirt up, right? So he's still going. He's going towards his son, and he embraces him. He doesn't punch him. Imagine the shocks and the shivers that go through the son because he can't understand what is happening right now. Let's read it. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick. Now notice, he's not talking to his son. In this whole parable, he doesn't say a word to his son. Does he need to? But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. He didn't have to speak to him because he's given him the robe. The robe saying, you're, you're my son. You, he doesn't even get the chance. To, he doesn't have to say, look, you're, not, you're my son. No. He shows him by giving him the robe, by giving him the ring, 
by giving him sandals for his feet, which means he didn't have any sandals. He might have been walking down there with one shoe. And he embraces him and says, my son was lost, but now he is found. Now let's go back to the original question. The question the Pharisees are really asking. The one that Jesus is, is, is answering here. Why are you with these people when they haven't changed? Because has this son really changed? We don't know. The father doesn't know. He's come back and said the right things, but saying the right things doesn't mean much. But he embraces him regardless. But put yourself now in the son's position. The son is now embraced. He's on the property. He's back home. When he left, he knew he was doing things that weren't done at home. Is he going to continue to do the things he used to do? Is he the same person when he left that he is as he's coming back? It's understood he knows he's home and things are done differently here. There's a reason that the father didn't want him to go off and to spend all this money. Not because of the money, but because he knew what was at risk for his son. The guidelines, the way, like in the rose house, we say, hey, you know how the roses do. You know how we do. There's certain things that are important to us, high values. Why are they high values? Because one, we believe God has given those to us, but we believe he's given us these values for our benefit and for the benefit of others. Because God loves us, he has guidelines for us, right? And so when the son is home, he's not gonna stay the way he was. The father doesn't expect him to stay the same. He expects him to change, but more so, that son will have made the decision, I'm gonna be different. And it's not gonna happen the moment he arrives. You can put the robe on, you can put the ring on, you can put the sandals on, but there still needs to be a change. And so everyone, everyone is wrong. Everyone is lost. As we looked at a couple weeks ago with the older brother, he was on the outside. The dad had to not only run out to the younger son, but then later in this parable, he has to go outside to the older son because he won't come in because he is messed up as well. Sure, he's been living there on the property. Just like the Pharisees, hey, we've been doing all the right things. We never miss the, miss the church services. We go to all the Bible studies. We go to all the stuff, but still, they're separated from him. They are wrong as well. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all wrong, but we're all loved. The older brother and the younger brother. The Pharisees, the sinners, the prostitutes, the businessmen, the athletes, the children, they're all loved. So we're all wrong, but we're all loved, but we're all expected to change. And that change is a process. There's a fancy word, church word. And we never use it because even the people at church don't understand it. So we don't use it outside. We don't use it inside. It's called sanctified, sanctification. Let me simplify the word and tell you what it means because that's basically what's happening to this younger son and what the father wants to happen to the older son. To be sanctified means to make something holy. 
In fact, the Pharisees, their name was set apart. That's what that means. A Pharisee was set apart. So sanctification means basically, in our words, to holify them. So what makes something holy? By the actions or by who they belong to? For example, we've got these microphones here. I'm making this up as I go along right now. So we have these microphones. None of you would go, oh, look at that microphone. I got to have that microphone. But if you were told that that microphone was the same microphone that was used on The Voice and that they've used it every week since the show began, now that's different, isn't it? It's been set apart. Ooh, it's part of the show. Now, it does the same stuff. It has the same wiring. But what makes it special? Because it's on some television show. To be holified, to be holy, to be, like, we talk about the church being the saints. Oh, really? I know people from church. They ain't saints. It's not talking about our behavior. It's who we belong to. That's what makes us holy. That wasn't me. Okay, did you get that point? To be sanctified is a process. This doesn't happen right away. And so as the sun is coming back, he doesn't change just right away. And in fact, as we talked about with the older son, the parable ends when he says, please, come in. Young, like, older son of mine, you've always been my son. Everything I have is yours. But your brother was lost. You need to come in. It would please me for you to come in because we need to celebrate that he was lost and now he's found. Put your feelings aside and trust me. You see, because the younger son went out on his own because he wanted to make his own decisions. But the older son's doing the same thing. And the father is saying, come in the house and trust me on this. I know you don't feel it, but something's going to grow. Some, some rot is going to grow inside of you. Your heart is going to calcify. But if you come in and see your younger brother and you forgive him by celebrating with him and you trust me, something's going to happen and your, your heart is going to be able to crack and open up and expand. Trust me with this. But we don't know what happens because the parable ends without an answer. It's like a, a cliffhanger. And the Pharisees have to wrestle with what are they gonna do with this? They have to decide, am I willing to be changed? Am I willing to go through this process? We all are made for change. 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite passages. Oh, it's so good. Thanks, you just went right there for it, didn't you, Kim? Got my back. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed, and the new is here. Now, if you were to look at the, that word, it's here, it means it's here, but it's still coming. So another way that is translated is the old has passed, and the new is coming. That younger son, when he comes home, that younger brother, when he's there, the process is beginning. The process is beginning where the new is coming and now he gets to live a new life. Not the life he had when he lived at home but he didn't want to be there. Not the life when he went on his own and says, I'm the boss. But he figured out, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm going to come home. And as he's coming home, he's embraced, he's given back his sonship, and the new is going to begin to process that good news or what 
This is a process that is modeled all through Scripture. And my favorite is with Peter. Peter heard this passage. Jesus began to announce, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Little pop quiz. This is the common English Bible translation. But in most translations, what does change your hearts and lives mean? What's that word? Repent. So you hear, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And most people go, okay, so now I need to feel bad for the way I've lived. No, that's not what that word means. The word repent means to change your mind. And so Jesus is coming saying you need to change your mind and then your behaviors will change. And one of the big things that needs to change is that we need to know we've all sinned and we're all loved. And then we can be set free for the new to come. So Peter, his name wasn't Peter, was it? It was Simon. And so Jesus is asking the question, who do people say that I am? And Simon, because that's how he was known, says, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the chosen one. And Jesus says, man hasn't given this to you. God, the Spirit of God has revealed this to you. And so he says, I tell you that you are Peter. He gives him a nickname. He gives him a new name. We all know him as Peter, but he was born Simon. And on this rock, this truth, on you I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Tell me his shoulders didn't just go back. Hear that, James John? Rock. And not just rock, the rock. Before there was the rock. Before there was a Dwayne Johnson there was Simon, who was called the rock. Now, this is a process. This change is a process because we see two verses later, well, four verses later, Peter takes Jesus aside because Jesus just said, hey, I've got to die, but in three days I'll rise again. And so what does Peter, the rock, say? Takes him aside and he begins to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord. Okay, you can't say never and then Lord at the same time. This shall never happen to you. So Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Really? You just called him the rock, and now you say, get behind me, Satan? And when I was in college, someone shared this with me. Actually, he was here at church a few weeks ago, just randomly walked in and um, came down from uh, Utah and came down and he was in here. And he told me, he said, do you see what's happening here? God calls us by the name of our becoming. The younger son comes home and he's given sonship. He doesn't even look like the father. Literally doesn't look like him. He hasn't act like him. But the father calls him by the name of what he will become. He knows his background. He even knows his present ground. But the father, by embracing him, is setting him on the course to take him to holy ground. For, that he will be set apart. Peter has already been set apart. And he does become what Jesus said he would be. He's not there yet. 
He's not even close. But he's going to get there. It's a process. We need to accept that for ourselves, but we also need to give that grace and mercy to others. How many people in your life are you thinking, that is never going to happen? Ever. I consistently have this picture in my head of my dad, my earthly dad. This isn't in the notes either. I have this picture of him walking through those doors. And as we're all standing, I have him coming forth to surrender his life to the Lord. But it's a picture in my head because I can't see it happening. I can't see that change happening. Because all I can see is the background and the present ground. But God loves him. My dad is wrong, but so am I. I'm a complete hot mess. But I trust that God is going to finish what he has started. And I pray for him, and I pray for my mom, and I pray for my brother, and I pray for some of my good friends that God will finish his work. I love my children. I am petrified for them. They're pastor's kids. I knew pastor's kids. When Jason and Laura stood here, they were making that same decision. Lord, I am trusting you because I know I'm not in control. I may act sometimes like the younger son, like, I got this. But I know I don't know what I'm doing. That's what happened when the younger son comes back. And the older son's out there like, I know how this is supposed to work, and you're breaking the rules. How often do we do that with God? Why are you doing things this way? It should be this way. It should be that way. My life should be this way. That person should get this. When are we going to let go and let God be God? And so he's sharing this with the Pharisees and everyone around, telling them, do you all know that you've all sinned and you all fall short? But you're all loved. And let me tell you this story of change. Because I'm calling all of you by the name of what you will become, and it's a process. And here's what I want to close with with this process. This process of change, it does not happen in a vacuum. It does not happen with you just in your closet. It happens in community. It happens with each other. Peter was stuck with the other 11. Judas takes himself out. They add someone else. And he's walking with them. Do you think they didn't speak into his life? That guy shot off his mouth all the time. Do you think John didn't pull him aside? Hey, Peter, I don't think that was really helpful. I think that was a little rough. I think we might need to think about saying it this way. Do you think they didn't talk to um, Thomas? Do you think they didn't talk to Matthew? Of course. That's how God intends us. That's part of the process of change, reading his word and depending on each other. I have a really good friend. I was in a situation, and um, there was a person in my life that I love, but just continually made these decisions over and over and over again. And this person wanted to get together and talk. And I was thinking, I really don't want to. I don't want to keep doing this cycle. But I know that I need to continually change. I know that I'm not always right. And as believers, we need to depend on rest and trust and lean on each other. So I called him and I said, hey man, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Am I crazy? Why would I ask that question? Because I've been crazy before. And so I need his perspective, a man of God, one of my best friends. And so we talked about it, he goes, you need to. Well, unbeknownst to me behind the scenes, the person that wanted to talk, someone had talked to them and said, you know what, 
you want to go and do this with your life, but you hurt some people. You made some decisions, and you're trying to run from it. You need to go and apologize. You need to go to these people. You need to go to Boog as one of them, and you need to say that you were wrong. And don't just say the words. Don't say it. you got to understand it. And so I leaned on this person. The person that called me leaned on someone else. And then we got together, and then God brought peace. He brought reconciliation. He brought newness. How does that happen? It happens in community. I'm looking out at so many of you that meet in groups with other guys or with girls or in life groups. This life was not meant to be lived on your own. This change is going to happen in community. God is going to speak through you to his word. He's going to speak through you on Sunday mornings. He's going to speak to you through your children and your family. But he's going to speak through you through the church. The church meaning the saints. Not the perfect ones, but the ones that have sanctified themselves. The ones that have set themselves aside and said, God, I belong to you. God is going to use them. He's going to use you in this process. That was his plan from the beginning. So, number one, you have to admit that you've fallen short. That's the first step. The other step is you have to admit that you are loved. Regardless of what you think, you are loved and embraced. God as soon as you turn to him, will run to you. He will pick up his skirt and sprint to embrace you because you are his. And then he will begin that change because he does not expect us to stay, stay the same. One of my favorite quotes, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Jesus calls a man and bids him to come and die, which means the old is passing and you need to embrace the new. And the last thing is, is that this is meant to be done in community. God is going to use our circumstances. He's going to use the word, but he's going to use people. He's going to use the other saints to change us. So if you don't have one of those groups, then you need to go be a part of one. You need to start one. You need to jump into one. We have all these for the church, but maybe you're like, oh, that freaks me out. Then start your own with other believers. But if you're walking with God, then you know you need to change, and he intends to use people. But if you don't have people around you, how is that fullness of change going to happen? So I want to invite us all to stand. I don't know if you can see it from where you're at, but that's the bench. It's really crowded in La Jolla. They had this uh, big old farmer's market thing going on. And so we parked in the red. Steph ran out, took like eight pictures because I had to see it for myself. Come sit, rest, and know you are loved. Love, grandma, and grandpa. Now, if the father's name was at the end, it would say, come sit, rest, and know you are loved. Now, let me help you to change your home. So, the worship songs, I want you to have that in the back of your mind. We're going to do two things. This whole last session, there's going to be three songs. We're going to have communion, where we take communion, doing this in remembrance of him, what God has done for us. And so there's a table over there in the corner and a table over there. So during some time in those two songs, go and partake. Um, I recommend that you take it back to your seat, you take the bread, you dip it, 
and you come back and remember what God has done for you. Remember that embrace. You're going to be looking for this because I stole it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. You're such a sharer and a giver. So those are there. And then at the very last song, we're going to take the offering. Now, the offering is for people to call branches home. It's for believers. But it's meant to be an offering to him. Just like everything we do, showing up on Sundays, setting up, caring for each other, listening to his word, worshiping. That is another element of offering. And so I want to pray for that now, and that will come during the last song. So if it helps you to worship standing up, sitting down, whatever is best, we want you to have that heart attitude. And if whatever helps with the body to get your heart there, then we invite you to do that. Father, we surrender to you. We submit to you. We sanctify ourselves by putting ourselves in your hands. I know I've gone and tried it myself on my own, and it's very clear, Lord, um, that we need you. Show us that road, Lord. Help us to strengthen each other through these groups, through fellowship, through um, friendship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.